Hello and welcome to the Meta Podcast. A podcast dedicated to bringing you live recordings from Meta events covering a wide range of multidisciplinary topics converging at the intersection of innovation in the African continent. In this episode, Women in Film from our Women in series, we will address the state of the film industry in Kenya and how it compares to other markets, the barriers to filmmaking in the local industry, the current needs of local filmmakers, and much more. The speakers include Judy Kibinge, filmmaker, writer, producer, and founder of DocuBox, Tony Kamau, creative producer, director, and founder of We Are Not The Machine, and Wanjeri Gakuru, writer, freelance journalist, essayist, and filmmaker of the Lusala film. And moderating the conversation is Sheila Muniva, actress and film director. A big thank you from everyone from Meta and their partners for allowing us to actually be able to come together and have this conversation. Now, we all are here because we are film lovers and we understand that the filmmaking space has been balanced with both men and women. We have women who are light technicians, directors, producers, actors, and writers. Now, one of the things that we have seen globally is the underrepresentation of women in spaces. And for us here, especially in the film space in Kenya, interestingly enough, I don't feel that as Kenyans, we have had or we have an underrepresentation of women leaders in the filmmaking space because I have had the opportunity to actually see that the Kenyan filmmaking space is run and led by women. So today I have the honor and the privilege to be joined by three of our industry bests, three of the people who have started way back when we didn't even have a film industry or any of these um, fun things ongoing. So I would like to give the opportunity to these lovely women who have done fantastic things in their lifetime to talk to us about themselves, the projects that they've worked on and some of the things that they've founded that have really enabled us to actually progress as the Kenyan filmmaking space. So I would like to start with Ms. Judiki Binge. Okay, uh, thanks so much. That was such an expansive um, introduction, Sheila. Although, luckily, you made us feel like super old, this beginning before time began thing. <laughs> All of us are like, hmm? Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just a privilege to be here. So I think for, first and foremost, I see myself as, as a filmmaker. Um, I came out of a background of advertising and sort of dived into making films and, and made a whole bunch of, of fiction films, of short films, um, you know, from something necessary to dangerous affair, uh, documentary features as, as well. And, and, you know, after all that, I think the thing that really struck me, um, and I'm so glad you, you said that, that women are so at the forefront of film, because that is very different from the global trend where, where women are so minimized and just not present, that women are so in the forefront of, of, of so much of what's happening here. So, you know, after making all these films, I think the one thing that struck me was just that there is so much talent, there is so much fantastic work that is made and doesn't really get seen. Um, and, and the one thing lacking seemed to be networks and finances and, and training for professionals, not training for novices, but for professionals. And so that's why I started DocuBox um, about eight, eight, eight years ago. And we've been supporting independent filmmakers like myself um, and, and, and like, you know, Ajeri and, and, and Tony with financing, with um, labs and workshops, with uh, 
screenings. We have a few screening events. So in a nutshell, that's that's me. Yeah. yeah. Before we hand over to Tony, Judy, I want to ask you, yeah, your love for filmmaking, your love for writing, did it start when you were seven in the US after you won the writing competition or where did that come from? Hmm. There's a thing on our office wall somewhere in here that, that says um, that you, you know, one doesn't choose art, art chooses you. And so in a sense, you know, it, it's, I really believe that it's, it's something that so many of us, especially in, in, in places and countries like Kenya, where, you know, um, all these professions are put in front of us, be a lawyer, be a this, be a businesswoman. Um, by the time you're like, no, I'm going to be a filmmaker, somehow it's, there's something in you that is a storyteller. And, and maybe some of us resist that for a while and, competitions like that come up when you're little and you might win a writing competition or maybe in high school you might be the best in doing essays but you still don't think that there's a future in in writing so yeah I think um, I suppose I was always maybe a kind of artist and storyteller and and slowly I'm still finding out exactly who I am um, but definitely that's that's part of who, who I am. All right. Thank you, Judy. We will move to you, Madam Tony. So I've been working in the industry um, for the last, for over 12 years. Um, mm. I started out working as a producer um, at this place called Mohammed Amin Foundation, where I went to school, where I studied TV and film production. It was a really small school. We were like nine students. And then we had this talk show called Hatua. So after we, so after I graduated, I worked there mm -hmm. teaching the other students who were behind me and also helping, you know, working with them and training them to produce uh, content for TV. So it was a human rights um, talk show and it got to, and it made me fall in love with, with storytelling in general, um, you know, and the power to be able to, you know, tell stories um, about human rights issues. We're the first people to talk about queer rights uh, on TV. This was like before 2007. We talked about land rights. And so it was... It was an incredible experience. Um, yeah, then after that, I formed a company called On Screen Productions with two other business partners, uh, Christine and Sonia and Sheila. We were with you there for a while working on the kids show called Crazy Cool. <laughs> so we did a lot of TV production. We did corporate video production. And then I met Judy when she was starting DocuBox and I knew nothing about um, independent uh, documentary production at that time because before then with on-screen productions, we were running a company that did a lot of commissioned work uh, for, for TV stations. So we didn't own the project. So now when DocuBox came up and then they told us this revolutionary idea that you can come up with ideas, you can get them funded, you can go to festivals and you can own these projects and be in charge of the entire, entire process from create inception to distribution. That was something revolutionary, I think, for us as Kenyan filmmakers, because as service production companies, um, you know, other crews come from outside. You don't know how they've come up with the story. You don't know where they got the money from, but you just do a budget for them. You know, you shoot on the ground and then they go off. And then magically four years later, you hear it's at a festival and someone is at the Oscars and you're like, wow, that sounds amazing. It would be nice to, <laughs> it sounds like it's something that's for people from the West, not for us as Kenyans. So I think it was, it was really amazing. Like, yeah, being part of, part of the first cohort of DocuBox and actually 
actually understanding what independent uh, production is like. Um, then in 2017, uh, formed a production company called We Are Not The Machine because on screen um, closed down. Um, and now on, uh, We're Not The Machine focuses on telling stories of outsiders, rebels and change makers. We still do service production because we still need to do that and commissioned work. But we are really keen on, you know, producing stories by um, some of Kenya's, um, you know, upcoming talent, emerging talent and also just established talent um, to help people tell their stories either through uh, feature documentaries or TV shows. Um, last year, we released two features. Uh, one was the co-production Softie, directed by Sam Soko. Um, it was produced by LBX Africa in association with uh, We Are Not The Machine. Um, I, was a I was a producer on that, so did raised financing ETC, and then also produced uh, I Am Samuel, directed by Pete Moremi. So in a nutshell, that's the journey. Wanjeri, the floor is yours. Thank you. Now, coming after two grades who I've had, one I've had the joy of working with and interviewing several times, and one I've just had wonderful things about. So I'm really, 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 really happy to be here. Uh, so I started out as a journalist. That's my primary uh, training. Um, I was at the University of Nairobi, and I've been an arts and culture journalist for the last, um, I'd say, nearly 10 years. And I've kind of progressed into being an essayist, and now I'm a filmmaker, which is really just the strangest and most wonderful thing. Um, I came to that because in 2017, um, I was then uh, a co-curator on a festival, Africa's first uh, mobile literary and arts festival, which essentially took us across five countries overland. So we started in Kenya, went to Tanzania, uh, Uganda, DRC, and uh, Congo. Well, DRC and Rwanda, Jesus Christ. I'm forgetting <laughs> the countries, I'm confusing all of them. But yeah, so Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, DRC, and Rwanda. And uh, we had wanted to, we were going beyond literature because what we do at Jalada is primarily published literature. And we were interested in um, going beyond that into different cultural productions. And we thought a film would be a really wonderful way to kind of um, introduce different worlds very immediately and kind of people get immersed in them. And so we felt like the film Nairobi Half-Life was kind of in conversation with Viva Riva, which was a film that, that came out around the same time and kind of were talking about crime. And so I had reached out again, just as an outsider, just like, oh, how do films work? Oh, director, that's the guy who's in charge of the film. So I was like, hey, Tosh, can we show this film? And he's like, no, 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 the film, I don't have rights to do that. You have to go to the producers. And so I went to Ginger Inc. and I asked for permission and they gave me the film. And when I introduced myself and said, hey, I'm part of a writer's collective, they're like, hey, we're looking for writers for other projects that we're doing. Are you interested in kind of taking part? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I applied for one of their workshops. And at that point, they were doing something new. It was called Brain Room, which was essentially just people gathered in a room together and kind of exchanging stories together and then kind of building and supporting each other. So for me, this was my first introduction to filmmaking. But out of that, they liked my idea, it was shortlisted. And then I was asked to join, um, then the project was called Hero Origins and the director was Likarium. And then over time, this was what developed into Supermodo. So that became my first uh, film credit. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exciting. I, I want to do this. But again, this was in 2017. This is when I was learning about um, Final Cut and Celtics and all of that. Like for me, I thought, oh, you know, you write scripts on like Microsoft Word, right? No, you do not. <laughs> well, you can, but it's just a struggle. So 
basically, yeah, so then that was kind of like my introduction to filmmaking and I was very excited about it because I've been writing and I've been enjoying films, obviously, for many years. But here I was, you know, kind of behind the curtain, learning, you know, how the puppet master, you know, works all the things. And from then I was like, yeah, I really want to do more of this. And I was invited again to work on another film, which then became Lusala. And um, yeah, that was like my, so this is my future film experience. But then I was like, I really think I would like to tell stories myself. And so I joined a group of my friends, or we joined, a, we created a group together called uh, Rogue Film Society. And I became the partnerships director by some strange luck. I think I just talked too much. So they were like, where end of Sumbewatu? And so uh, by that regard, we started collaborating with Munyata um, screenings. We started doing Q&As with them. But more importantly, we started becoming this kind of um, support system for each other because we realized that's, that's what people need. Um, and through that group, I've been able to um, get the support to make a short film called Get Laid, which showed at Short Shots and Shots, which I'm very, very excited about. And I've been uh, making short films since then and also moved into directing documentaries as well. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Thank you, Wanjeri. Thank you, ladies. Now, as we begin in general, from the basics, the state of our Kenyan film industry. And I think I want to start with you, Judy, because you've been there, I think, even before we had a film industry in Kenya. When you did your debut um, with Dangerous Affair, a lot of the crowdfunding, a lot of the sourcing for everything was actually done abroad. But I know you did come and you filmed and things worked what have you seen is the historical growth or the changes or the transformations of the kenyan film industry from dangerous affair till now i think okay first i i we can't take credit completely for 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 you know starting the film industry in entirety i think there were there were there were people on the ground and they were making different kinds of films um people like domi yambo and people like jane monene um, so there were films being made. Um, Dangerous Affair came about really soon after I quit um, my my ten year career in, in advertising because I'd always you know always wanted to make films and and you know like you at the time I had no idea how they were made what people had to do it and my whole plan was I have to get to film school so I can learn all this stuff and and that really didn't happen because. Um, I think I was very fortunate to do the one thing that maybe um, some, you know, we, we often dither about sometimes. And that was, I, I had, I, had um, I was able to start writing scripts. And, and the reason that I was able to get into this affair is, is Jerry Carago had been working in the States at Hallmark, um, at BET, or at all these really big, big US and Hollywood based production houses. And, and as a Kenyan, you know, sort of young Kenyan woman at the time, she had been produced enormous films like The Ascent. Uh, she brought this whole Hollywood crew to, to, to Kenya and they, they filmed all, you know, the story of the Italian prisoner of war escaping and, and climbing to the top of Mount Kenya. She had worked with Robinson Crusoe and, 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 and made um, a film with Piers Brosnan. Um, and, and not that she, she was not an assistant producer, she was not a line producer, she produced those films. So when she landed home and wanted to make a film, it was very fortuitous that I had um, also quit and I, I had a credit or two under my belt at that time. I think the exciting thing about Dangerous Affair is, is um, it actually was not crowdfunded for abroad. Uh, every shilling of that film came from this country. And 
I think what the whole idea behind it was to was to really just tell people, you know what, you don't have to make an NGO film. You don't have to make a film about malaria and then sneak a story in there. You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to do child bride only. You can actually make a film about you and people like you. You can have a film about people who like clubbing and 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 the intrigues and the ups and downs and the arcs in their lives. And it was really about. Um, I think what what Jerry really aimed at doing was was really just having a film that's that gave an example and said this is not brain surgery if you write it and if you collaborate it will get made and so in that month that we were shooting um dangerous which was all the way in 2001 i think um people each earned a standard sort of salary of i think it was 2500 bob um a week or something like that many people forfeited it uh people brought to their props their cars if it was a car needed someone from the crew would volunteer it if it was a house needed someone's auntie had one uh and 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 you know and and the money that was raised for it was um in part alone um collateral you know some some borrowing t- taken on on a piece of something somewhere and so it was really a massive group effort and i feel you know it's been written since then and i won't um take credit but i've seen it written since then that many people saw that as the beginning of not filmmaking in kenya but of contemporary storytelling um in in kenya and whether or not that's true um I think it was definitely the, the the beginning of an explosion of of a certain kind of film and lots of people thinking hey yeah I can I can tell the story that I want to tell um and I don't have to 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 wait and try and 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 couch my my story in some sort of NGO message which is also fine by the way which is also completely fine but that it's not the only it's not the only route so i i think that's not quite the history that you've asked for but it's it's maybe a small snippet of of at least how i got started and what i saw in that short time yeah that was actually very insightful because one of the things that you've said is actually how everyone came together from props to i'm guessing even wardrobe and everything people really just came together to make the film but tony i w- i'd like to ask you the question actually because we still do find that productions in kenya are still being run the same way that dangerous affair was being run years ago and with you with your expertise and the 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 work that you've done for al jazeera and bbc and even getting the chance to work with um co-producers from different countries how different do they approach film from what we do here and from what judy says was being done back in the day um yeah so i think maybe there's a distinction to make because like i currently work in factual production and i know fiction so i can't really speak for fiction because it's generally quite challenging to raise right. money for narrative it's it's so hard to raise money for narrative like i tip of my hat to narrative um feature producers because raising that kind of money is super super challenging um i think when it comes to factual production um i would say it's a different ball game uh because when you're i, I mean there are two types of work this commissioned work so if you're producing content for someone like al jazeera 
um, or BBC World, um, you know, they'll have a slate. Um, they, I mean, they'll have they'll they'll have a slate um, or a series where they'll say, okay, we want to produce something within this series. You come up with a budget, you pitch an angle, you put together a team, and you produce the thing within a very short span of time, probably like a few months. You know, under six months, um, they pay you. It's over. You don't own it. It airs, <laughs> and then that's the end of the story. You move on to the next thing. So it's a work for hire situation when it comes to like independent production let's say something like i am samuel or soft tea like usually when you're starting these kind of projects um usually when you're starting this kind of projects um in kenya uh you have to self-finance unfortunately like in the first year or so so what is called development um so when i would compare it to maybe like uh, if i speak specifically about canada because i understand how they work uh, they were our co-producers on soft tea like canada has a lot of public funding um um for development uh of projects or for their own canadian producers and they do it in different ways like they'll fund producers directly for projects or even sometimes like if you're a production company that's done a lot of projects you can even be able to get um, something similar to slate finance so with um, other com- countries like canada to a certain degree the uk to a certain degree france development you are able to raise that money um, so you don't necessarily have to go into your pocket after you've proven yourself you know after you've done like maybe two or three films they're like okay you're a producer we can give you development money maybe even to fund a slate or even just to run your company so that you can be able to fund films so i would say like those are the big challenges like mm. it's very hard to get that first money in kenya you have to have filmed something um you have to have maybe gotten a grant locally which is why document is so important for you mm. to actually now be able to go and get um both projects bigger money yeah sundance etc so you, yeah so i think that's one of the i would say like the biggest differences mm-hmm. um, that i would say i've seen between like our market and the external the more developed yeah. uh markets and that's um, judy so yeah, i just want to add something because i think there's also a perception that we have i i feel also in 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 the questions that you're seeking answers for there's a feeling that for instance um maybe the way the industry was shot it's different from how the world is shooting films and actually it isn't um i think the beautiful thing about the industry affair was that it was set up exactly like a production anywhere in the world you know the call sheets in the morning the the di- different departments and the different department heads the the screenplay where you know you had if if you had changes at a certain time you'd have your blue pages and your green pages and your pink pages like there was nothing different from from the way a hollywood production would run other than the budget right um and 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 other than at the time you know quite a bit of the equipment because there was so much um crowd raising of equipment locally um but but if you looked at the people who were involved on that set they were working on big foreign feature films as makeup artists as art directors as um uh so so there were a lot of sort of really amazing talented people who were already working on really slick global productions and the reason that i i raised this is because we were really fortunate to be able to help um a very very talented and experienced producer just 2 months ago to attach to a us um a us film that was being shot in mississippi uh in in the usa uh, a really good independent um 
well-budgeted film. And so she went over there and spent um, maybe six weeks on, on that set. And in one of our many WhatsApp video chats on, on you know, her, her free afternoon off, she was like, Judy, there's nothing different about the way that they are making this incredible feature. I can't say what it, what it is right now. Um, and the way we make it, it's just that they have more money and therefore they have the luxury of time. Our equipment at this point is the same. You know, the, the, the cameras that she has seen here, whether it's, you know, I think they were using an Alexa and, and, and that's what we often use on bigger budget kind of fiction features or narrative features. The thing, I, I think we sell ourselves short sometimes. And, and you saw that, I think, with Rafiki. I came to the set of Rafiki. I don't think you saw me. Um, just, just to check it out and say hi to, to Anuri. Um, but I think you saw it. it. That is, that set of, that's like how sets are anyway. It's just that your toys get shinier the more money that you have. You have more, more people. You have more expertise to, 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 to maybe input on your script and so on. But we have pretty much the things we need. Where we let ourselves down, I think, is we often write very hastily. You know, um, you'd speak to, Filmmakers and they'll be so proud that oh my gosh I did this in such a rush. Imagine I, I wrote this script in, in in three weeks. I'm like why? Please don't even admit that you did that. You know, Something spend, to be proud of. Don't be proud of it. You know, spend time uh, with your pre pre prod and your. So I feel like that's where we let ourselves down sometimes um, because we honestly have a lot of what we need finances. Really, we need a hell of a lot more, but we have a lot of what we need to make cutting edge films that would be um, doing pretty well if, if, if we could just get together and, and also uh, figure out how to gather finances more efficiently, which is why Tony is here with us um, and, and other, yeah, other producers also helping figure out those questions of, of distribution and fundraising and, and exhibition and all those different things. Yeah, okay. but Judy, I'd like to, sorry, I'd just like to say something really quickly, because mm. I think with fiction, like in doc, you know, that phase of writing the it's script. It's so different. Yeah. No, no, yes, no, but I'll just, but yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's basically like the development phase to a certain yes. degree, the research and development phase. And to be honest, that money is so hard to raise. So mm. even like, I understand like there's some people who are like, yeah, I did a script in three weeks. Um, and maybe it's because sometimes, I mean, I'm not coming to the defense, but it's just an understanding of how the market works and the fact that this is money we need to start figuring out how we raise more of it locally so that we can mm. start upping the quality um, yeah. of, of, of projects. Like we need to be able to give people like at least a year to write mm. a script minimum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, we, we need to be able to give people money, um, access to capital so that they can be able mm. to um, de develop documentaries and just actually yeah. spend your time gaining access. Yes. And that's, that's the money that's the hardest mm. to raise um, mm. from what I've seen, even just from other people's experiences. I just wanted to add that, sorry. Yeah, yeah. no, that's so right. So, so true. So right. All right. That was actually very interesting. But I, I, I would like to pose um, a question because one of the things that I've seen and from the conversation we're having is we are all, and I will use this word, privileged to have the tools in our hands that when the money lands in our desks, we know exactly what to do with it and 
how to go about it. But that's a thing that I feel and I've seen has been missing or is not necessarily our strength in our film industry. As an actor, I'll show up on set. They've gotten the money to film the show, but the director will tell me, okay, you have the script. That is your husband. You guys are in love and action. But I think also it's the learning um, and, yeah. and improving our skill sets that directors know you cannot command an actor to produce emotions. There's a whole, there's a range mm-hmm. of things that get to go behind the scenes. So Anjay, I know you've been involved with um, Supermodel and this mm-hmm. is also together with uh, Ginger Inc. <laughs> And there's, yeah. it's been a partnership and a collaboration where we've seen guys coming from DW, coming in to do workshops, to do classes. As a writer, has that been beneficial for you? And have you seen the importance of that in our industry? And also, maybe you can share your thoughts as well. Um, on top of what Judy and Tony have spoken about um, when in regards to the film industry, where do you think you, we are and why we are where we are? I think I definitely agree with you that there's a knowledge gap. There's a really, really huge knowledge gap, and also in the sense of um, not not just how things actually work, um, in the sense of actual uh, training. So, for example, like I said, I came in on one workshop, and then I was put into a group, and I was working on a film. Now, of course, the the you know the overarching idea is that it was a trainee film, and you know you're meant to be so good, you're supposed to just kind of know a little bit, and then you were four writers working together. So already there were so many dynamics that for them, I think it made sense in order to do something within a fixed amount of time. But I definitely agree that more time is better for everything, for everybody involved. More time will, will reflect on the quality of the work. Now we were very um, uh, lucky that we not only was there in both films uh, a team of four writers, but we also had uh, scriptwriting mentors. And we had a lot, of, a lot of expertise on top of our work, kind of like overseeing, guiding and assisting. But this typical everyday writer doesn't have that. And that's why I'm really grateful for the group that I'm in, that we do that for ourselves. So we have a thing called Story Factory, where somebody presents the idea and they get feedback on it. So those kind of spaces need to exist more and more so that then... We are speaking to our peers who are knowledgeable in the work and able to tell us, okay, there's a gap here or consider this or maybe shift it completely from one genre to the next. But I do hear you on, you know, getting on a set and being told, okay, go. And you're like, uh, but how, you know, because we have such limited amount of time to make work. So for example, you get, um, and this isn't a criticism of, of DocuBox or how you guys operate, but just as an example, since you are in the room. So I know that um, you support first time, uh, first time uh, filmmakers. And I've seen this with like my friend, uh, Lydia, who's one of the winners. So maybe that's also something that needs to happen. So as much as people are getting the funding, maybe we need people who are like, hey, let's work with you. And I'd be so happy if it was more of people who are like us, who understand cultural nuance, who understand that's the reality of being, you know, forced to be, you should have been a doctor and now you're trying to do this filmmaking there's certain things that need to happen so i'm really happy that we're having this conversation uh, with people who've come ahead of us who can we can who can work with us you know so i think that's that's the thing i completely agree that there's a knowledge gap there's also a technical knowledge gap in the sense of how things actually operate but also in technical skills and i think the thing that's exciting for me or should be exciting for all of us is that we have the rest of the continent to look at to look at so for example how nollywood produces films like this yes it might not be um you know quality across the board but that idea that your story is important and needs to be out there i think that's something we can replicate if nothing else just the confidence to say you know what i have something i'm gonna put it out there and then we'll see how it goes because um as tony was saying when people are being given chances because they have a portfolio 
And if you're too scared to put your work out there, nobody's going to give you a chance. So I like this idea of like the audacity to just put stuff out there. But I think we definitely need, there definitely needs to be much better. And I think it's on us to support each other to make sure the work is amazing. And actually, Wanjeri, you've sort of guided us into the next um, section or the next question, which is on Afro bubblegum art. Afro bubblegum is the word that Wanjeri Kahu so famously coined after Rafiki. And it's basically doing art for art's sake. Art yeah. that is fun, fierce, and frivolous. Now, yeah. Judy, you've touched on it, actually, when you spoke about Dangerous Affair. And in fact, the fact that Dangerous Affair may not have been the first, you know, Kenyan film or filmmaking experience, but I believe it was the first Afro bubblegum sort of story that was told in our industry for the first time, you know? So my question is, what do you feel about Afro bubblegum art? And when I look at the trajectory and the nature of your work, you do have a lot of Afro bubblegumness in your work. So Judy, I would like to know from you, is this something that you pay attention to? Did you know about this Afro bubblegum, you know, before Afro bubblegum became a thing and where you see our industry and the stories we're telling are because of this new fun, fierce and frivolous way of telling stories? You know, it's interesting. First of all, I love um, the whole idea of Afro bubblegum because I think we do it all the time. I think the name is new, but I think it's not new. We tell stories all the time. I think what happens, though, is that when many people might see a call to apply for something, there's almost a guilt that comes with it that says, you know, I'm living in a continent that has all these struggles and strugglers and hustles and hassles, and it's my duty to put those on a big screen um, and therefore a film must be a message. And it's not necessarily true. Um, a film, films have all kinds of messaging in them. Uh, some films are just films for the hell of being films. But I think what I've realized, and it's funny because Tony and I have been also talking about this a little bit recently. I'm always taken aback when, um, especially we have our shorts call, which our short fiction call, which is fairly new. Um, our feature doc, call is, is, is different and a lot of the themes are often heavier that, that people submit. But with a fiction, short fiction film, you'd kind of expect a lot more frivolity and a lot more fun ideas and a lot more humor to come through because I really feel that as a people, we have so much of that. But instead, um, it's unusual how much death, suicide, depression, death by hanging, death by bullet, death by jumping, death by, you know, all these script after script after script um, can read 50 scripts and, and 35 will be like that. I'm not exaggerating. Um, and so you find yourself really seeking the light because we've seen the difference. You know, sometimes we'll have a cinema for our shorts event and, and, and we found a heavier number of, of, of lighter themes and, and the whole energy in the room is just, different so that when you do have a heavy film coming in you know you you feel it but no one wants to, to spend a whole evening watching 10 really heart-wrenching horrendous stories of pain um and so i think it, it's we need to allow ourselves to to just really embrace more fun and frivolous uh, ways of writing because within that you you can have very serious heavy um, stories. You can have stories of grief that, that you're laughing as you're crying, as you're watching them. And, and so, yeah, we, we need to, I, I'm just so interested to hear what Tony and, and Wanjeri 
have to say about this, but whenever I stumble across a film that 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 has been that has embraced that philosophy, I just I feel really good about it, and I and I become very curious about that writer or that director, and I and I want to see more of their their stuff. And actually, yes, Tony, because I wanted to ask you for someone who's in factual you know, factual media, factual filmmaking, how do you even incorporate Afro bubblegum into the themes of your documentaries? How, how, how do you go about it? Well, I would say, um, like, I mean, I'll just go back to what like Judy was saying. Like it's, it's something that's part, inherently part of our culture, I think as Kenyan, um, you know, if you don't laugh, if you, if you don't laugh about it, then you're going to cry, you know, you're going to drown in your tears um, if something really bad happens to you. So we we do have a, like a strong sense of humor, like as Kenyans, like it's definitely that's something that's with us. It's part of our spirit. Like look at memes that come out about everything. Um, I mean, I would say with factual storytelling, I, I, I can I mean, I, I would say with Softy and with I am Samuel in as much as they were both about serious topics like Softy. There, there was silly, you know, like there were silly parts with Boniface and his wife. You know, they, so much light. So yeah, much there light. Was light. So much yeah, light. Which is life. Which is life. You know, you which is life. Like life is not one thing. You know, you could be going through like a very traumatic situation, but when you're with your people, your family, your friends, you can find a way to laugh about it. Like even when you go to funerals, uh, you know, and you're supporting your friends, um, you can always tell who the tight friends are because they'll be laughing somewhere in a corner with a person who's lost someone. And it's not because they don't, um, value the person who they lost it's just that you know you're also just trying to remind them that there's still joy in life so i would say factual storytelling is not about drowning in sorrow and those are not the kind of stories um that we want to tell and and i'll just say like what judy is saying um I, i do think it's important to especially now after COVID, you know, to mm. find interesting ways of approaching storytelling and looking at genre. Um, like, for example, we won a grant to develop uh, a satirical documentary series called Postcolonial. So it's a docu- yeah, it's a documentary hybrid series. So it's sketch and doc. And it's talking about the legacy of colonialism. Of course, we're not talking about and it. And it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And we have a writer's room. So actually, we met one yeah. of the writers, Tony Koros, through Judy because he did this incredible comedy that was a short shots and shots then another writer is called Karabula Diga she's based in South Africa the other writer is Yuval and and we came up with this writer's room and we just said we want to make something that's about absurdity and like what Judy was saying like a lot of the writing that we were getting was so depressing you know someone's 21 and she's talking about you know, being beat, you know, like she's talking about domestic violence, suicide, whatever. I'm like, girl, you're 21. How, you have not experienced life. <laughs> like, find, find, start talking about the joyful moments that you experience as a 21-year-old. And she has a joyful personality, but I guess it's this instinct to want to do these sad, depressing stories because that's what should be on TV. So I think it's about like also like a cultural shift that also comes from people imbuing that sense of complexity in life. It's laughter, it's pain. There's laughter, pain, there's anger, there's joy, there's happiness. All those things Mm. can exist in one story because they exist in our lives. 
Mm. That's, that was so beautifully put, Tony. Thank you. And I think, Wanjeri, I want to ask you, as the writer in the room, one of the writers in the room, sorry, do you find that you're challenged in this in your writing? And even sometimes if you're sitting in a writing room, do you sometimes feel that it's too sad, it's too heavy? And I don't know, like, how are you guys able to remove that, like, from Country Queen, the heaviness of what they call African themes of poverty and disease? Yeah. How are you guys able to remove that? Yeah. Um, so, first of all, uh, Country Queen is a, is a TV series that we're working on, and Sheila is one of the lead characters. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, she's really, really good in it. Um, so the, the thing that's, that, that was, I was listening, I was like, where does this come from? And I was like, it comes from like our drama fest experience. You know, for us, that was our first um, creative expression. And it was always heavy themes. It was poverty, it was AIDS, it was HIV. And that's how we know how to express ourselves. So I'm thinking about my time in high school and my first introduction to any kind of creativity was English lit. So, you know, English literature, so you're reading heavy books, you're like, okay, so if someone's going to publish a book, it needs to be on a very serious topic. If you're going on stage doing a choral verse or a play or whatever, it's a very heavy topic. So naturally when I'm writing, that's what I go to first, you know, and I'm like, you know, Africa, these are the things we do, we need every day. We don't think the experience in Amatatu where the conductor and a, and a customer are arguing and having this, like, this really, you know, funny conversation. We think that is important. Yeah. We don't think it is important. We think, you know, but we really want to bring that into the forefront. And I think in many ways, uh, we really succeeded in doing that with Supermodo because it's a very, very heavy theme. It's a child who's got a terminal illness, but the community is like, no, we are surrounding you with love, we're surrounding you with you know everything that you need as a child, allowing you to be a child, allowing you to play, which I think is really wonderful. And I remember, I mean, to your question, Sheila, at the top, about you know, in the writer's room, how do we steer away from uh, the typical, I remember we were having conversations about, um, so at the beginning of the film, there's this uh, commentation, which is like from DJ Afro, that's, that's the inspiration. You know, DJ Afro is this a guy who layers wonderfully on top of another story and he said like, the best thing ever. And we were kind of pulling on uh, from that and adding it to the film. And the Germans did not understand what that is. They're like, oh, oh I don't think they'll get it. We're like, you're not the first audience. You are not the audience of this story. And even yeah. having, um, you know, Kiswahili and Kikuyu and Sheng and all these things infused into the story to reflect uh, ourselves back to ourselves, I think is very, very important. And so the sad thing is that, I mean, things like that, you need to have a space where the person who is on top of you, who is in charge, has to want to listen to you. So you're kind of like beholden to them. And so at least also with Country Queen, we have, you know, we call them the nice Germans. <laughs> and, they, you know, you, and it's really sad that you kind of need to have people who are um, flexible, not just that it is the norm, that Kenyanness is invited. So that's, that's, that's the thing that's, that's really sad. You can learn when you have all these wonderful ideas, but they can be struck out because if the first audience to the producers isn't a Kenyan audience, is a foreign audience, then you'll have films that don't reflect us, that they look like us, but they don't feel a move like us. Yeah, and, and I think so much, Wanda, that's, again, back to that thing of um, just being confident or allowing ourselves to really ask, like, who are we and, and what, what tickles us? And, and because sometimes you'll see, for instance, Korean films, and they have a very particular flavor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Parasite. That's not our humor, but it's so intriguing. Yes, it's, it's so, yeah. like you watch it and, and you, you don't want to blink because you don't want to miss a moment because you've never seen that world, but yet it has all the humanity that as a human you, you recognize and relate to. And I think it's that kind of, of thing that in freeing ourselves to just write in a more frivolous way. Um, actually, I wouldn't even use the word frivolous. 
um, but but just in a in a more engaging, real, and human way. Uh, I think it's gonna allow a, a new kind of language to emerge, and it won't be new to us. We'll recognize yeah. it completely when we see it on screen. Um, just to give one really small example, this we 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 screened Brian Bonene and the Carrion's film, which we supported called Morning After. I think at one of our shorts, and it's I don't know. It's just to serve this guy who brings this girl home for the night and then he doesn't tell her that his mother is his roommate. He keeps saying, you must be quiet, my roommate's here. And it, it just just it just ascends into this black comedy where they get up and the mother's washed all of this girl's clothes and the cinema is is just like this. It's like a horror movie. It's like a romantic horror. And and by the time the mother is saying that she's gonna drop this girl home to meet the parents, people are on the floor. Now this film was such a hit, and it's such a hit when when it's it's shown to to a Kenyan or an African audience. We get it, and we showed it to to a European programmer who was looking for films. It was he was so deadpan, he didn't and get it. he took it so seriously. And at the end, he he thought it was a critique on the overbearingness of parents. <laughs> well, there is that, but there's so much more happening, like so much subtext. Yeah, but. You know, and so in that meeting, I just it, it was just such a reminder to be confident also when we run things through to, to, to share things with each other. And because if you sometimes always allow the outside to tell you what's what's funny or what's strong or what's not, you might not build the voice that you need to deliver the films that we need to be seeing. Yeah, and, and I'd just like to um, add on to that. I think what we are saying here, okay, at least my understanding of what we're saying here, we're not saying that people shouldn't tell stories about depression or people shouldn't mm. tell stories about whatever their reality they're is. They're vital. Yeah, they're vital. But what, what, okay, what I am specifically saying is that even, even in the midst of you know, extreme difficulties because we are human. We are driven to find a way to survive. We are driven to find a way to find the light. And, uh, and what I'm just saying, like, mm. like humanity, if, if you watch a story or if you sit with some, mm -hmm. if, if you watch a story where it's dark from beginning to end, there's absolutely no light. What are you mm. saying? You know, because at the end of the day, this is narrative, this is story, you know, like, um, and, and everyone's existence is complex. There's ups and downs. That's what makes a great story, you know, like um, it's not one beat. And we're not just saying that you do slapstick all the way or it's, yeah, or it's happy, daisy go lucky all the way where it does not feel realistic. What we're yeah. just talking about is the complexity of trying as much as possible to, co to capture the complexity of what it means to be human. And being human is complicated it's ugly it's messy it's fun <laughs> sometimes you don't want to wake up from bed sometimes you don't want to sleep because it's so amazing but that's that's rich that's complex and those are the kind of characters that are engaging on screen whether it's a documentary um or whether when you're filming someone if you're filming someone who's one note the whole yeah. time i remember we had a character in a documentary and they were every scene we filmed with them was exactly the same. We had to remove them as a character because there was no, we were not showing growth. Yeah. 
um, in terms of story. So it's so I think I, I just wanted to add because I think I think I saw a comment about that that yeah. we're talking about capturing complexity. <laughs> um, I, I feel that that's the conversation we're having. And actually, now I'd like to move on to the cultural, historical, and educative impact of filmmaking, and especially from you, Judy. There was a reason for DocuBox. There's a reason why this needed to happen. It could be for the Kenyan culture, for our history, for our storytelling, our particular ways of um, our narratives, narratives, how they've been taken over, say, by the West, etc. And finding ways to make it about us, our culture, our history and what we relate to. I'm curious, when you were starting DocuBox, were you trying to fill a gap when it comes to our type of storytelling? Were you trying to fill a gap when it comes to how uh, we would curate our own ideas, our own um, content? And ideally, what have you learned with DocuBox about African filmmakers and particularly Kenyan filmmakers? Hey, that question is large. It's large. Um, first of all, I think... A lot of why DocuBox formed is I was lonely, I have to admit it. <laughs> because, you know, for one thing, I'd, I'd been making this film that took me about five years to film, about a, uh, to, to, to complete, about a massacre in the north of Kenya, um, the Wagala massacre, actually. And I had followed TGRC for, for months. I had terabytes full of TGRC footage. I'd met all the different, many different characters um, up in, in, in Wagala itself. I had followed their stories. Um, and there's nothing lonelier um, than making a documentary film. Honestly, if, we, if you don't have a community, um, it, just by the very nature of, of, of these very good docus, you know, Tony will tell you Softy took, took six years, seven years to make. Yeah, um, the letter took, you know, five or six years to make. Samuel, uh, again, took about six years to make. Not that every docu has to take that long, but it's, it's a very deep um, and long process. And in it, you realize how much you don't know about making a film. You don't realize that, oh, if I had a teaser or a trailer or a scene select, that would have helped me raise money abroad. I didn't know that. You know, you don't know that um, going to an, someone who cuts NGO documentary videos is, 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 is perhaps not ideal because they won't let certain scenes play out. You know, you don't even know where to begin looking for alternatives. So I think DocuBox was, was um, a way of, of, of um, really figuring out what we as filmmakers need. I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that it's a fund by filmmakers for filmmakers. And that's why I think we, we're constantly innovating and coming up with very new programs and, and ideas because we're, we're kind of responding to, 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 we try and put our finger on a pulse. And even though our funds are not, um, are not huge, actually what we give away every two years in the West would go to a single film, by the way. Uh, so we have to cut it up into these little bits and, and find ways to run programs and attract additional partners. Um, and so I think the thing that I've learned when we began DocuVox, one of the comments that kept coming is a fund would be a great idea, but don't let it be run by a Kenyan because the money will disappear. <laughs> and yeah, that, that was, you know, that was the sentiment. Like if, if it's run, it needs, you need to bring a foreigner to run it because so but what I've run is, is the, the other thing that kept happening is people kept saying, if I send in my idea, will it be stolen? You know, so 
a lot of mistrust. You know, we're going to we steal each other's ideas. Sorry, sometimes broadcasters have been known to do that. In the past, you pitch and then you see your series on. Um, and so I felt, especially, and Tony can answer this more, like when that first cohort of, of, of um, grantees came in, because we weren't telling people what story to make. If the story changed, we weren't forcing people to stick to a story. We were just there to try and walk together. Um, and it was a long walk, and we did as much as we could walk that long walk together. Um, I think what I found is is we do seek community, and 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 we do help each other, and we 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 are generous. Um, and and all you need sometimes is a safe space in which to 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 just be the generous. Um, hardworking, committed filmmaker that you are and to share these, you know, contacts and networks with others. That happens a lot within DocuBooks, by the way. Um, I just wish we had more, more, yeah, more finances and, 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 and more opportunities for that to happen. But, it, but that's what I found. I found that, that the soul is, of this thing is there. Uh, we just need to support each other more and we need to trust this thing more and we need to... <sighs> Yeah, to, to seek like minds, seek like like minds who who are more invested in building rather than because there are always people who want to rip things down. So I think it's that's what I found. Lots of people interested and committed to building, and and we need each other. Those people. Yeah, I was just going to add something small just about the idea of community and how important it is because, like, with the first cohort of films that got support. I mean, what you're saying is true. Like we got editors from each other. We shared our experiences. Like I Am Samuel was one of the first documentaries that went into post here and we struggled <laughs> because we really struggled because we didn't really understand the post journey. So actually a lot of people learned from our experience. <laughs> like we took, we took like three years to edit it. So other people learned from our mistakes and we were open about mm. sharing that in that safe space around, you know, like the DocuBox um, cohort, um, because we were like six of us, we were kind of going through the same journey. We were working with different mentors, but there was like a lot of like um, sharing. And I mean, just, and I think that that idea of community is really important. Um, before COVID, um, like me and some other filmmakers, um, started something called film therapy and we meet at we used to meet at docubox where we'd meet yeah. like once a month and people would just share their experiences like very like like saying mm -hmm. like okay that was amazing yeah yeah we, we are trying to figure out if we can do it again yeah we were hosted by we have to do it again yeah we have to i'm missing yeah. that space <laughs> yeah but what we did was just kind of find a network of people who had similar values who were trying to do similar kind of films who like judy said you know like um like who were interested in building each other and giving comments because I understand that there's this fear of your idea being stolen. But I, again, I think just harking back to what Wanjeri said about the knowledge gap, like if you understand um, what makes a good film, because ideas don't make films, like what mm -hmm. actually makes a good film, if you're talking about factual, if you're talking about factual storytelling, um, what gets funded is um, a project where there is established access. I could sit in my corner and decide I want to make a documentary about 
you know, Rihanna, Riri, because I love her. But I, if I don't have access, I could write something really beautiful. But if I don't have access to her, like if she will not let me into her space, one, <laughs> and then two, will, will, if she will not let me into the space of the camera, if I do not have trust, if I do not have a level of a release form, something where she is given permission for me to film her, then I do not have access. Then this is not a documentary that I'm doing. So I think it's also just about like understanding, like, you know, with this knowledge gap, with factual storytelling, it's about securing access to people, sustained access. And that's the develop, that's the part of research and development where you're trying to get that access and secure it. Of course, you can't get people to sign things up front. With fiction, it's the same thing. Like you write a treatment, you write a script, you register it for copyright, and then from there you can move on. So I think also sometimes this mistrust Yes, it exists because yes, broadcasters sometimes steal ideas <laughs> and other people steal ideas. But I think it's also about understanding like what makes something protectable as mm -hmm. or what makes something a film mm -hmm. <laughs> or something that can get funded. I think you have to, when you're entering into a space, I think it's that understanding of what that is that can be copyrighted, can be protected, can be yours. So that at least when you're engaging with people, you understand um, that you have some level of protection when you're having these engagements and then engage with people whose value systems you know and who you trust, yeah. like, you know, like Rogue Film Society. I mean, it sounds quite amazing what you guys have been able to do. And I think, yeah, we need to start having more and more of those. I kind of feel they shouldn't be big. It feels mm -hmm. like it should be circles of people so that we can, you know, people can have chances to give their ideas. Because if it's a hundred people, you know, how do you do that? But if it's, I think, smaller circles, it feels like it's something where you can be able to nurture each other's projects and creative visions. Yeah. Well, we still have you, Tony, actually. Can you talk to us about I Am Samuel? Talk to us about, because you now this is something you handled that uh, we are not the machine from beginning till the end. There's a lot of cultural, a lot of, uh, political things. I will not add political, but just talk to us about I Am Samuel. With everything that you've said, especially about community, about finding your people, and then, you know, having access. Tell us the type of access you had and what I think also you learned from, you know, I Am Samuel and what the response has been as well. So just walk us through all of that. So like um, I Am Samuel actually, so it's a, it's a documentary about a queer Kenyan man and it's about him balancing, you know, his beauty to his family who want him to get married, get kids, settle down in the village, have the exact same kind of life that they had in the village. And, you know, like his love for his partner, they live in Nairobi, they don't, they live in an informal settlement and they're just trying to navigate um, their existences in these, both of these spaces. So that's what the documentary is about. It was filmed over like uh, four and a half years. We edited it for very long because of the challenges <laughs> I spoke about earlier. But when we first pitched the project at DocuBox, we were actually following a lesbian couple um, that's what we got our initial funding for uh, because the director, Pete, um, is the one who got access to the couple. Um, we were filming with them for like a year and then there was a situation that arose within the um, couple. Um, they, one of them wasn't comfortable with us continuing to film despite the fact that we had gotten their trust, we had releases. One of them said, you cannot use my material. I do not want to be part of this film at all. 
And we then had to have very difficult conversations with Judy, with our initial funders, Itfabatha, and we were honest about the situation that we were in. Uh, because, you know, like I think documentary storytelling is a lot also about the integrity of the film team. Um, of, you know, because our job is based on trust. So, so what goes around, if you're the kind of person who muscles your way into people's lives and you just put stories on screen, uh, despite someone saying, no, 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 I don't want it on screen. Like if you don't actually navigate that relationship, then you're basically, how are you going to do other documentaries? So it's about trust. So we're quite honest about that with our funders. But at, at, at around that time, Pete, we, I mean, we had started filming with... Um, a sports team and our main character Samuel was part of that team so he was being mentored by someone who had been filming then we met him so it's kind of like the way you meet new friends through other people and then yeah we just started filming with um, Samuel then now we spent like another six months trying to figure out like um, you know, gaining his trust, figuring out like what we're going to film. Uh, at first we wanted to film a story about his sports team. And then we realized that the relationship with his father was similar to the relationship that Pete had with his dad, where, you know, Pete's dad was Pete, the director, his dad had a complicated relationship with the career he chose, which was film, <laughs> as opposed to something which, you know, a nine to five job. So there was always this, yeah, you should do life the way I did it. Like there's that kind of tension with the dad. And I mean, after like maybe a year and so of filming, we realized that that's where the story was. This is a documentary. And then now we started raising money. So we, so every time we got to a new stage with the story and we cut the edit, we kept on applying for funding. Um, we ended up working with a bunch of editors. Then we ended up working with a, a two incredible, we ended up working with Sam Soko, who directed Softy. So he edited the project. That's actually how I met him. Uh, and then we started talking about Softy when, I was, when we, he was working on I Am Samuel. Then we went, we found a couple of other editors. We were introduced to an editor by Chris and Maya who did the letter. Um, we did the post process. And I think the whole time we were just showing the film to this circle. You know, every time we had a rough cut, we'd show the film, we'd get comments. I'd be like, this thing does not make sense. But you know, it's, you know it's said with love. <laughs> and you know it's a safe space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're just doing like our internal previews. Yeah, and then we just kept on like slowly raising the financing, talking to people about the story, finally did post. It premiered at uh, Hot Dogs um, Festival last year. It's been doing, it's had a really good festival circuit. Um, we have a distributor called Bohemia Media in the UK. And, and it yeah. was the opening, it was the opening film, wasn't it? Where? At, at Hot Dogs. No, it wasn't. So, sorry, sorry, I'm thinking of, um, yeah. I'm yeah, no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Much success, I, right? So, I'm mixing up your <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, but it's done really well at the different festivals. It's shown at Resident Encounters, Durban, and now we're mm -hmm. figuring out how to bring it back home. Uh, but uh, that one, I will <laughs> talk about that some other time. Yes. Yeah, so, well, yeah but I guess that was the process. It, 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 it was, but there was that safe space that we kept on having to go to, to ask people for ideas, to talk to people. Even with our funders, we created relationships, not just DocuBox, but 
you know, Doc Society, Sundance, like there was a resource that we could keep on going back to because also when you raise funding for a film, like the people in the funds there, you can actually ask them for help. Like you can say, okay, you give me money, but can you mm-hmm. get me a mentor to talk to? Or can you give me advice on this and that? Or can you introduce me to a good co-producer? Or can you introduce me to a good editor? Because um, I know the documentary side in particular, it's, it's, it's a very helpful space. In terms of right now, with technology and with everything that's happening and everything that's changing, the question is, how do we take up space in all these platforms that have been made available to us? And do we feel like they're coming to compete with whatever little things we have here as the Kenyan film industry? Um, But Wanjeri, I'm curious, like, if you have any thoughts as well. I think the internet is becoming very disruptive to the traditional media and, like, channels of distribution. So as my little knowledge, I think maybe Tony, uh, maybe even Judy would have a better understanding. But from my understanding of how work moves, especially, like, feature films, there is, I believe, maybe one uh, local uh, cinema that actually actively shows all the films and I think it's it's like prestige it's like I don't know if it's cinema I know what it is but I know the, the cinema and prestige is the one there all Kenyan films seem to have debuted and the others were very open to this idea of showing local content I think even like DocuBox is showing their work off there and um, it's quite sad that we only have one person who's like actively engaged in showing our work it's, it's really kind of heartbreaking so how do you um, you know compete with the Marvel films of this world because they their, their thing is who will come and watch these films it's not Kenyans you know so and then there's this idea of it's also Kenyans of a particular caliber it's like me as a regular everyday person I don't even know you ticket how much you know those are the kind of negotiations we're having in their minds so internet become very democratic so even this idea of like platforms like view sasa i'm sure i'm probably like plugging them but yeah but it, it, it really just breaks that that idea of access you know and make, it brings it closer to the people and i think um maybe this was like 2016 or 2017 um the nest put out a, a, a web series called tukomacho and they put it out on facebook first and it had three million views right um, and then, like, maybe in 2019 or so, um, uh, Sarah Hassan was in a film called, um, a co-production with a Kenya-Nigeria co-production called uh, Plan B, and that was on YouTube, and that got a million views. And, I mean, I know this because I interviewed them about their work, and so this, this is the statistics I have, like, as, as a journalist, but I'm imagining that those three million, those one and two, were, were like the everyday people that we're talking about. And for them, as consumers, I'm sure in the audience were also filmmakers thinking, hey, I could do something amazing with my YouTube audience or with my Facebook audience or even these platforms at all because they're all free. And so there's nobody telling me, oh, you know, you need to give me a kickback or, oh, you know, it doesn't work with our theme for the Nini. You know, you're not having any of those negotiations. You're just kind of doing your work. And with, um, because I mentioned smartphones as well, the idea that, you know, your phone is everything you need to tell a story, then eliminates this idea of, oh, I need to go and get this expensive camera because, I mean, the phones are becoming really exciting. And I remember last year, because um, we, we partnered with um, Neta Screenings to uh, run Q&As, and there was a gentleman who had made a really exciting film. Like, let me tell you, when you see that film, you're like, 
hey, and you shot all on a phone. And like the idea of even like rigging, like taping it to uh, like a, a pole, you know, to have like a, a um, what do you call it, like a tracking shot, like just becoming very innovative and just kind of like starting where you are. I love that idea of like not thinking about, oh, am I trying to press so and so? It's really what story do I want to tell? And I think the internet is really helping um, break that idea. And also the fact that you can learn so much for free on YouTube. There are so many people willing to share their, their expertise um, as much as it's also like translating like, okay, so this guy is in America, he's talking about this and this. What is the Kenyan equivalent? So also we need more Kenyans just kind of like um, dismantling that idea of like this thing is, is, is very technical. It is very technical, but it's not very difficult as long as you're able to know that um, there is a space that you can use and that the tools that you have can tell the story that you need to tell. I wanted to ask one last question. The female perspective, how important is it for women to be in charge and to be leading in film or to be part of film? I really loved what you said in the, the beginning, Sheila, when, when you, you pointed to the fact that it's, it's very different, this landscape. Um, in fact, I cannot point out how many like PhD and master studies of people from elsewhere have come for interviews to try and understand why Kenyan female filmmaking is so strong. Um, you know, from Wanori, Hawa, Jerry, back in the day, Jane, you know, there's, there's a very, very, you know, strong presence of, of, of um, African female filmmakers. And it's, it's, it's important for us to claim that, 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 that space. And, and, and because if you look at so many things about uh, Kenya, the way Kenya runs, the way family units run, we're, we're so the backbone. Of, of, of life across this continent in so many ways, across the globe. And, and we, need to, we need to be very central to, to the narratives being, being written and, and filmed and made. And I think we are, you know, and I think we need to applaud the fact that we are because I find, it, you know, sometimes these conversations, oh, women in film. I'm like, you guys don't get it. Us guys are kicking it over here. Of course, it could be so much better. Of course, um, we need to, 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 yeah, there's so much that we need to do, but I think we need to really celebrate the fact that we've had some very strong and continue, you know, continue to have like really strong female filmmaking voices. And, and they're always imagine, you know, Tony the other day was mentioning, you know, without mentioning names, just a very strong, totally new young um, screenwriter that she had come across. And, and, you know, recently we did a whole bunch of, of shorts and some of the voices that we, we came across again, you know, who've been quietly working but might not be known, um, again, just very, very strong, you know. So, yeah, we need to embrace that and, and keep encouraging more. Uh, but, yeah, super honored to be here. I love the work that Meta's doing. Um, Sheila, I want to see you in Country Queen because your performance was just glittering. <laughs> Uh, for Rafiki, it was it was awesome your performance. Um, so it's it's also just a real privilege to have you moderating. And I keep wanting to ask you questions as well <laughs> <laughs> about your journey. Yeah, um, yeah. Just just thank, yeah. Thank you, everybody. It's been it's been really wonderful to be part of this conversation. This is a small trick that I learned, and I was like, I try to share this as much with everyone. If you want to be a, a script writer, if you want to be a storyteller in that aspect, go and find the film that you love, and then go and look for the script online. Most likely, if it's like a big film, the film, the shooting script is online. Download it on your machine if you have a laptop. 
put it on a small one small window will be the film that you're watching one small window is the script watch how that translates like watch what the writer wrote and what was the director created and you start to understand film language you start to oh ext means ah ext Yeah. Oh, internet. Because nobody is. This, they, I haven't seen a space that tells you INT means this. By the way, this means that. So try and do that. And I, and I think also maybe maybe more of us need to make sure our scripts are out there so we can actually do that with local content. But for now, start with the films that you love and just do that. And you will see your mind will start to figure out. Oh yeah. And then also as as you do that, you start to realize, my goodness, I could do so many. They could do so many fun things. So, okay, don't put a helicopter at you breaking a building or whatever. Don't do that. <laughs> the Wakali would only do it. I mean, who's who am I to say what you can't do? But have that 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 thing will like shift something in your mind. And let me tell you, that's what helped me very much to realize. Okay, this is a thing you can do. And then going forward, um, watch more films. Watch what you love so that you can you can borrow from it. And that's the wonderful thing about. film that is different from literature you can borrow you can have multiple references you can set a scene to look exactly like somebody else's and find maybe that can be seen as uh, copying and, and plagiarism but in film we see it as homage so if you do it as an homage it's all good but like borrow from what you love until you start to find your own voice and then you start to meld all these references and you start to see that you have something to contribute as well but i would encourage you guys to just consume as much content as possible and please put your work out there we are willing to watch we're willing to consume just tell us about it i think distribution is a thing that is just distribution and marketing but like if you have your work out there try and put it out as much as possible and we will we will show up and we will watch your work thank you if you may allow me i just want to add one more thing um don't be afraid to fail I think that's the thing that that terrified me for a very long time because when I started out I started on a very high level feature film the film won so many awards it went to it was Kenya submitted to the Oscars I was like oh my god the thing I do next must be at that level I must go and land no yes or rather yes go and land but it shouldn't the, the lack of knowledge should not stop you because that's how you improve you do the thing you're like oh my god hey this is bad wait let me let me try and make it better but you cannot know until you do until you have a product that you can examine and improve and i think that's something that uh for us as women unfortunately we always feel like we need to be super prepared because we have this one chance to impress this one chance to say something and i think know that film is a career you can have for life people are making films I look at scorsese he's like in his 80s and you're still making a film you this is a career for life so know that the journey is long and it will be it will only improve if you start where you are make the stuff and keep improving keep improving keep improving and then if you'll allow me let me plug something which is really good because people are asking i think in the comments how can people see our stuff um currently RFS has collaborated with Neta Screenings. Neta Screenings is um now it's it's I think it's a biannual uh film screening of uh shots from all over the continent, mostly from the greater East Africa. Um for the next four days starting tonight, they'll be showing films from the continent, a lot of wonderful uh stuff. So look out for Neta Screenings and then we are hosting um Q&As afterwards with the filmmakers so that you can come with these questions about how did you do your work, you know, watch the stuff and then come with questions. And and then just build this community of like pan african filmmakers that are like we are each other's first audience first which i think is so important we can look to each other for inspiration and for growth so yeah those those are my closing remarks thank you anjali tony um yeah i'll just try and keep it brief but i love but i echo exactly what she's saying <laughs> like you can't you can't 
the best way to learn about good story is to watch good stories over and over again. Like what she said is the gospel truth. Uh, so I was just, I was nodding my head inside on the inside when she was talking. I was like, yeah, you preach sister. Um, so I think I would just, maybe I just break it down into different categories. Um, I would definitely say that I think the thing that, I learned because um, like through DocuBox, when we first started learning about independent production, my starting point was thinking that this was not a space for someone who looked like me, a woman, African, doesn't come from a rich family, you know, hasn't gone to a film school in New York. I was like, this is not, this world is not for me, but let me just try it. I think the thing that I've understood um, is that, is that you can take space <laughs> in the creative industry. Um, what you need to do is to now maybe understand how do you get to that space, understand the process. Because I think life is about understanding processes. Um, because I think many times, especially in this country, we're told so many times we can't do things or something can't be. And you know, it's, 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 it appears a lot in our mass media. Like let's say for example, um, you know, like it's a two horse race. You can only vote for this big politician or that big politician. And then you completely <laughs> debunk media. You understand this. Huh? So, so, you know, so you're, you're, you're told that, you know, it's a two horse race. You can only vote for this person or that person. This other person cannot participate in that space. Um, so we come from a culture uh, where the mass media, where politicians, where our families, uh, unfortunately, keep on telling us we can't, you cannot do this. You cannot be that person. This space is only for people who are like this. There are certain narratives that have been created in our culture and society. So I would, the first thing that I, I came to understand is that people who occupy certain spaces and at the, at the top of the space, they're not there because they're superheroes or because they are special. <laughs> I mean, they, they're there because, A, they took time to understand the process of how you get there. So mm -hmm. I would say if you want to understand someone's journey, understand how they got there. Yeah, it might not necessarily be your journey, but then you can understand, like, how do you get to that space? If I want to be a director, what do, what do I need to know? You know, that's the first thing. Then two, then once you understand the process, then look for the resources. Right now, we live in such an incredible time. Um, you can access a lot of free masterclasses, like, for example, on Sundance Collab um, is one example. You can access so many free masterclasses from directors, writers, documentary storytellers. So if you want to understand this space, um, access those masterclasses. You'll probably see people that you know. And you'll even see stuff on YouTube by different directors talking about their journeys. So read and understand that. Um, and then, you know, like once you start to understand like what genre, what space you want to belong in, voraciously watch that kind of stuff. Um, and then you can, and then read about the different kind of roles. If you want to be a producer, again, <laughs> there's lots of free master classes. Understand if you need to learn how to make a budget, you can download Movie Magic for free. You can learn how to make a budget. I think we live in such an incredible space. If you want to get to a certain place, there's, there's a way to understand um, how to get there. And then I think now the third thing about like community and mentorship, um, I would say mentorship is kind of like an interesting uh, two-way street uh, because I think many times you could have peer-to-peer -peer mentorship if you find your community of people who are interested in getting into a certain space, you know, you can learn from each other. You know, you can give and you can take. And even when you're approaching someone for mentorship, maybe, 
um, it's not just going there and being tick, tick, tick. I want to learn, I want to learn, I want to, I want to learn. Like, let's say, for example, you want to learn from Wanjeri how to write scripts. You could say, hi, Wanjeri, can, do you need a script assistant to do something for you? And I want mm-hmm. to learn from you. Like, like, structure it in a way where it's a relationship that's two ways, you know? And then be consistent. Maybe someone will tell you no to understand whether you're going to come back. <laughs> You know, sometimes someone can keep on telling you no. Like one of my mentors who I met, I basically stalked him at a party, <laughs> at a festival. And he, until he gave me his card, then he was like, okay, send me your trailer. And I just kept on emailing him until he replied, you know. And then he said, I'll watch your trailer. Then he watched it. He gave notes. Then we improved on the notes. Then we came back. So he saw improvement and he saw that we were dedicated towards continuous improvement. And then the last step is like, I don't think there's no one, when you read about a lot of these filmmakers, uh, whether, they're, they're, whether they're directors, whether they're producers, whether they're writers, the good ones are always learning. Like no one, there's no one who has fickered. <laughs> you know, like the people who are really good at what they do uh, believe in continuous improvement and continuous, continuously upscaling. Um, yeah, I would just say like, you just have to understand that this is unfortunately a space where you have to continuously learn um, about how to upgrade your skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one small anecdote. I remember like when we were making I Am Samuel, when we were making Softy, just going back to the first point, like there were so many people who told us we can't do this before we pitched. And when we were going to international festivals, there were people who were telling us, oh, but this is a first, you guys are a first time director, producer team. How are you trying to do this? Um, when we pitched Softy at this festival called Hot Dogs Forum, me and Soko were first time director producers from Kenya um, everyone else who was pitching in that forum because it was a financing forum to pitch um, they had all done like three films they had like crazy credibility so us guys were the outliers and we were so scared and then the advice we got from one of our mentors Miller Ong Thwing was oh your first time director producers lean into it mm. you know Do- because your journey is not their journey so lean into your journey, which is what I think we were talking about earlier on, about the authenticity of, you know, like leaning into your, like if you're funny, lean into that. You don't have to write uh, serious scripts. If you like action and you're good at that, lean into that, you know, that's your strength. So lean into that. And we lent, we leaned into that and we talked about like how excited we were there. We were to be pitching at this forum, hot dogs. We hyped people up. Uh, because as a producer, you know, your job is to create credibility because you've produced other things that have done well. So I just hyped people up. I was like, we're happy to be here. Thank you to the funders. Kenya, yeah. Like, and then we talked about how much we love Kenya. We're proud to be here, ETC. And guys clapped. Guys were so happy. And we did a pitch that really, you know, that, that, that was experimental. It was brave. Um, you know, Soko was narrating over the, vo- over the trailer. Um, you know, we were speaking with psych to people because we said we are in this space. We are going to occupy it. We're going to be authentically ourselves. <laughs> and that's what we're going to go with. Because at the end of the day, this is an industry that's, that yes, it's built on trust, but it's also built on uh, the, the, the authentic voices are the ones that, you know, kind of like rise to the top in a certain way. Okay, outside of all of these structural imbalances. But, you know, like if you're an authentic voice, um, um, people, people see it. People are not stupid. People can tell that you're authentic and you're speaking your truth. So I, th- I would just say just lean into those things. 
Um, and I just wanted to add a little bit about distribution. There are local platforms like Vumi Central um, that are showing like a lot of Kenyan content. So I would just urge people go there, check them out. Um, yeah, and you can see Softy was there at some point, <laughs> but I guess it's, it's, it's a new platform. So I know it's growing. So I think just also support our local platforms like Vumi Central. There's My Movies Africa. There's Nuella TV. Um, yeah, just start looking for these things. Showmax is also showing a lot of Kenyan content um i hear netflix is also starting to do that but let's also just support like the kenyan platforms which are showing a lot of like undiscovered yeah. voices to a certain degree manyata screenings yeah also look for the things you know because I've, I've seen yeah. people saying where can we find this stuff also look for it i mean go on youtube matcha film festival they put all their stuff on youtube and it's some really incredible so also seek this stuff out because and just if you may allow me just something small I think there's been this uh, conversation for a long time about you know buy Kenyan support Kenyan oh we're not making it for us I think those are legitimate concerns and legitimate questions but you must also interact with our work to have a conversation about our work so number one go and see it and then we know where to improve because sometimes this, we have blind spots we, we are human but watch the work so you walk that journey with us For more of these episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast channel on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform of your choice. To stay in touch with us, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WeAreMetaNBO or email us at Nairobi at Meta.co. Until next time, thanks for listening.